rambling in Havana I took a little risk Send lawyers, guns and money Dead, get me out of this Welcome everyone to episode 39 of the Matt Jones podcast here. We've had a couple weeks off, which I apologize for, but uh, we got a little get a little behind and then, you know, things happen. We should have tomorrow on episode 40 our friend, uh, our friend Bomani Jones joining me um, as well. So that should be good. He's got a lot of things to talk about. He's getting all riled up on the internet, which is always fun. Uh, today we've got three guests, a rare triple header, Alex Kennedy, of NBA of basketballinsiders.com is going to come on and talk about the NBA playoffs and the NBA draft and he's going to we we play a game where we rank the Kentucky guys in the NBA who's going to have the best careers then Jonathan Martin of the New York Times is going to talk about the presidential race of course we had the Kentucky primary and he's got good stuff to say about that whether or not I, I'm a little depressed because I think for the first time that Trump can win and he tells me he tells me I'm not as that I shouldn't be as worried about it as I as, as I think I am and uh, so we'll get to him in a minute but first a rare UofL visitor that is not Tony Vanetti Nick Coffey of Card Connect and on the radio here in Louisville on KRD, noon to three. Nick, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you because I like to talk to Louisville people to show that you all are not all insane. Well, I appreciate that. And this. you're in my group that's not insane. It's so a it's small good. group, but I'm a, I'm, pr- I'm a proud member of the group. <laughs> well, good. Well, before we get started, you, you that's a polo shirt. Yes, it is. But I know that you also want to, to, to have cool gadgets and accessories, right? Of course. Touchofmodern.com. This is what this says right here. You can be the envy of your group. Wouldn't you like that? I would. We got the inside scoop on where to get all the best gadgets, fashion, and decor for your lifestyle. It's touchofmodern.com, which has the coolest stuff with the best prices on the web. I have it as an app, and I sit there and use it, and I buy all kinds of cool stuff, and they deliver it right to your door. I like, I've bought uh, little doodads. I've bought doodads. I've bought doodads. I've bought an iPhone case on there. I bought, uh, I bought, one time I bought this little lamp. I bought boxer briefs. You can get all of that stuff there. Delivered to your house from touchofmodern.com. I really enjoy it, and you can too. Get the app at touchofmodern.com and uh, order right there. If you do it now, they'll get it to you very soon at touchofmodern.com. So check it out. For, I it's, will. It's a good lifestyle I need app. more doodads. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, uh, Nick Coffee, you you you've just started on the radio here. How you liking it? You you do three hours every day by yourself. How's it going? So far, so good. I, I, the first day that I did it, I remember leaving thinking it went by really fast, and I I knew going in. I bet that stopped. No, it hasn't. And I knew, but I knew initially if I was to be at one hour in and think, "Oh my God, two more hours," and I realized I would be uh, needing to just fill it with guests. But something you do on your show that I think you don't get a guest if they're not going to bring anything to the table. Yes. And I learned that really quickly. So we we do have some guests from time to time. It's three hours. It's just me. But um, yeah, it, it's going good so far. I'm used. I've done radio for a while, but. Um, on it's a station different. that nobody listened to. Yeah, it's different. It's <laughs> different. I mean, you and I came from the uh, Dugan Ryan yes. school. I love Dugan. I had lunch with him not that long ago. You know, you you realize I'm a big believer in there's no reason to have guests if they don't add anything. So why bring somebody on to talk about Kentucky if I know Kentucky better than they do, right? Absolutely. So bring them on to talk about something I don't know or to give me a different perspective. And I, 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 that, I think I gave you that advice. Don't just have people on for the sake of having them on. 
Yeah, and it, it, I think it's a channel changer because they've got to like you first, and that's one thing I never really thought about. You would think you would think it would be the first thing that comes to mind, but it's selling yourself yes. and making people. I mean, they don't even have to like you. You know that more than anything. There's probably a lot of people who are from my side of the rivalry that aren't a big fan of yours, but they probably listen every single day because mm-hmm. it's entertaining. And I think that's one thing. When I started here, I guess going on three months ago, I learned right away is you're not necessarily attracting. Um, you don't want to people to love you. Just give give them some entertainment and keep them coming. Back. Exactly. That's what. That's really what you're looking for uh, to, to do. And you, you're like me. You started a U of L uh, website. It was what? Are you Card Connect or it's, the it's, Card? Connect? It's thecardinalconnect.com. And but that's what it's always been. But we have other domains. So where if you, it'll reroute if you put in like. But what's uh, your Twitter account? The, the Twitter account is the Card Connect. The and that's why people get confused. Card Connect wasn't available, and card there was already a Card Connect. Yes, it was about credit cards. And there was also there's a have you ever heard of the school Lamar? I know, yes, Lamar. They're, they have like where they're, you, when you go to online school, you log in and it's like Blackboard, but their online portal is called like the Cardinal Connect. So when I first started, I had to make sure I wasn't like going to be getting any legal trouble. But yes, it, that, I don't want you to get in legal. Trouble. Yes, I know. I, the last thing I would want is for you to get in legal trouble. So you're the Card Connect on Twitter. Now, I'll ask you a little update here because you follow this even more closely than I do, I'm sure. Where are we in the UofL scandal? Is this – I had heard it was going to like something was going to happen in June. Are you still hearing like we'll hear more in June or or no? I have no clue when we'll hear anything. Um, Now, June has always been mentioned. We knew Coach Patino was going to be talking to the NCAA. um, And apparently that's happened, but he can't comment on it. Um, but yeah. Wait, yeah, what do you mean he can't comment on He's been commenting on it forever. That's he, true. He, he comments unless he doesn't want to talk. He comments he, on the situation. He can't comment on his conversation with the NCAA. Apparently that happened like two and a half weeks ago is what, is what, is what we've heard. Is and that kind of what you heard? Yes, and uh, I think it was WDRB that put out that it lasted about three and a half hours. So, I mean, I, I have no clue when we'll hear anything. Um, to my knowledge, there's still not a notice of allegations, which I guess would be the first step, that is the first step. in moving on from it. Now, UofL, you know, they, they – if you want to call it, punish themselves. They took away the postseason, which mm-hmm. that was something I think that anybody from the outside looking in would agree that was right there means they knew something bad happened. And they took it serious now. We'll just have to wait and see if the NCAA thinks it's that there's much more punishment to come or if they say, okay, we'll give Coach right, tell me about a your suspension. Fans. Tell you. I, I mean, I, I'm going to try to be nice because you're nice enough to do this. But tell me about your fans for a second. All right, so your fans at this point, would you say most fans want Rick to still You're be You're going to get me in trouble. No, no, no. I want, I want, to, I want to actually know. Like, I'm not asking you your opinion. Okay. I, I want you to sort of tell me what the fans think because nobody knows better than the people who run internet sites what the fans yeah, think. Yeah, you get a good pulse of do the you, fan base. Do, you, do your fans in general want Rick back pretty much across yes. the board? I, I mean, there, you'll, you'll find a few that probably don't or would be okay with the idea of change, mm-hmm. but I would say 97% would say yes. They ninety-seven percent. That big a number? From what? Yeah, from what I gauge. I mean, okay. I, I think if you threw an like an if somebody out there said, okay, what if we would have this guy instead of him? Then there might be people. There would be people pondering. Yeah. Okay, maybe maybe that would work. But I would say right now, knowing what we know, and I'm not saying this right or wrong. I'm just saying most of the fans, ninety-seven percent, is my guess would say they would like to now, keep if, Coach Patino. If, if it came out that the NCAA made you all sit out a second year, would, Old that, number, story. would that number change? I think so. Yes, I think it would change drastically. Okay. Yeah. Be, but. What I, I agree with you, but why? Like, the act would be the same. There's not going to be – the NCAA giving you another year doesn't change what happened. I think if 
and you're correct because if that was to be the outcome, nothing has changed from Rick Pitino's standpoint. But uh, I, I think fans would then probably just assume that maybe it was worse because that's what fans do. They're going to try to, and that's what you would expect them to do. Like there, there's some people that realize something bad happened, but they're going to be as optimistic fans, as possible. That's another good question. Do you think fans believe something bad happened? Pretty much all, because there was a while they didn't. But do you think fans now believe something happened? For the most part. I am surprised. I do think they do, but I am surprised that there still are some out there that don't, and it blows my mind. <laughs> like, then how do they explain why they would take the year? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Because I will still see Louisville people go, oh, that woman made it up. And, I mean, she clearly didn't. Now, she may have made parts of it up, but the idea that the whole thing is made up is absurd, right? It is, and, and there are definitely holes in her story. You had your interview with her, and you, and, and credit to you, you, you obviously – questioned her on some of the things she had stated and by the way I think I told you this my daughter was born on the day you had her on the show and well, I, know she, I, I forgot and I love didn't I text you that I no, love I that did, people yeah. came to see my my firstborn child and talk about how beautiful she was and say she hear Katina Powell that, jumps <laughs> that is hilarious yeah, so I'm you, sorry about yeah, that yeah it, it, it just happened to work out that way but no she obviously has some had some holes in her story, but clearly UofL wouldn't have acted if they didn't find some serious wrongdoing. Yeah, and fans, I think they want they know it. They just kind of want to stay away. They from it. They want to act like yeah, it. Yeah, that's a, it, I understand. They, I mean, that's a natural reaction. I'm sure that part would be the same. Do you? Okay, so over the course of this, I, I've heard things along the way, and and I will say some of that started not drying up, but just there just was less to talk about really after a while. I have always I, – I still am told and believe that there is a second staff member who's currently on the staff who was involved. Have you heard that? I had heard people mention that they've heard that, but I've not heard from anybody with direct knowledge gotcha. to say that. Okay. If – do you think that – I mean, do you get a sense from folks that this – that they believe more punishment is coming? Do they believe that – and I'm talking now – administration kind of people. I'm not talking fans because they don't know. I mean, do you think like the worst is over? Well, what do you think is the status? Now, what I, my, if I had to guess and say what the NCAA would do, now that's a tough thing to do because they're very unpredictable, mm-hmm. but I would guess that you'll see a suspension for Rick Pitino. That would be my guess. And then probation. I don't know. But as far as taking away another season, I wouldn't guess that could happen, but it's possible. Now, from L. It'd be unfair for me to speculate what they think. They know more about it than I do. But I've always gotten the vibe that they are prepared for some type of suspension for Rick Pitino. Gotcha. Okay. And I think when you had Kenny Johnson become the associate head coach, that kind of painted that picture that they're preparing for when that Is happens. Is there anybody worried about the banner coming down? Oh, I'm sure there are people that are worried about that. That's the worst possible scenario in my opinion. What's worse? If you could, get, if you could have banner, stay up, or another year. Like, oh, another year. Another year. I am 27 years old. That was the only championship, and I'm a fan, obviously. That's the only championship I've lived to see. Yeah. So if you were to take that down, I don't know if they'll ever get another one. I mean, it, it, you'd like to think they would. Mm-hmm. And that was such a likable team, mm-hmm. a great group of guys that – and I know well, they were happy because they were getting d- dances yeah, on this. But you, you, you got a chance no, to know like some of those guys. I, I, I thought that Russ Smith, Peyton Siva – Gorgie. Can we scratch the French hands drop from KSR? I like it. I though. love it, it is funny, but <laughs> I love Gorgs. <laughs> Listen, I liked all those guys. I thought all those guys were nice. I think Shane Bahannon was a goober. I think we can now say that Kevin Ware was a goober. You couldn't say it for a while because he hurt himself. But uh, Luke Hancock seems fine. I mean, Wayne Blackshear seemed fine. Like, like I will say, of Louisville teams, I found it to be one of the more likable. 
Um, I can totally understand why that banner means so much to you all as it should. Um, I don't understand how the NCAA can justify not taking it down, though. I mean, if they find this happened, then I don't know how they can. Well, and that's what we just have to wait and see what they found out, what, they, what they've concluded with their investigation. And it's, it's rare that Louisville has already taken a couple of steps, mm-hmm. and yet the NCAA. We Did don't you agree with that decision when it happened? I actually kind of did. Uh, not, I wasn't all, you know, when, it, when you find out about something like that, it's, it's not good news by any means. But I remember thinking, as sad as people were for the graduate transfers, if you got to do it, you got to do it. And yeah. clearly with that decision, that told me something, something happened. happened. Yeah. And, I, and it, as I mentioned, I know a lot of fans probably just don't, it's not that they don't know or they don't believe it, they don't want to go there. But yeah, I, there are some people that think, and it blows my mind, that, well, this is all just a conspiracy, this woman's a big liar. And I think if you are that person, you can't see what UofL's done and and think that it just doesn't make any sense. I don't know how you could think that, but then again, like you, people will will talk in themselves into anything if, if given the chance. I mean, I they believe what they want. There are still people who believe that we didn't cheat in the eighties at Kentucky. I mean, like there are people who will believe whatever whatever you want to say. If the the president, like I think Rick Pitino should go, and I think he'd be gone at any school in the country. But I think. I don't think he knew about it, but I think he intentionally didn't know about it. I think he just stayed out of that stuff. I don't think Rick Pitino is an evil person. Okay, I mean, I don't think he's a. I'm not going to say he's a good guy, but I don't think he's necessarily an evil person. I do. So, so like, if you keep him, I wouldn't keep him, but I understand how somebody could. How can you all keep your president? You're asking the wrong guy. I mean, I. That has been one thing that I. I, I, I don't want to get myself in trouble here because. No, no. Listen, I, you're not going to get in trouble. You need to be able to speak openly. Like it's okay to say, how in the hell are you keeping well, everything? Your everything that's happened there. I mean, it's been a bad look for the University of Louisville, but it's also kind of taken it to where you're not pointing specifically at basketball. And, and that well, and most terrible, fans only care about that. Yeah. I just don't know. Like with basketball, you can point to Patino's wins and say we need to keep him for that. Why are people taking up for Ramsey? Like, what? What? What do they? Who is? Well, half the board. Well, that's different. I mean, I, I'm. I'm talk- I only have a pulse of the fans. Okay, so what do fans think of him? They want him gone. Is that right? I mean, from you, we made it. What you just said is the absolute truth. They they kind of don't care. But the ones who are vocal about what's going on outside of basketball with President Ramsey, they're kind of like, well, this is this is embarrassing enough. Let's move on. Let's get rid of this guy. That's mm-hmm. what they think. I'm not saying that's what I think. I don't know enough about it, and I try to stay away from that. I just do. But see, isn't that part of the problem? Is that I agree with you. Fans don't care. It is an interesting sort of study of humanity. That we only care about the sports aspect. I mean, I will say it's this. the truth. I don't think if, – if this exact scandal had happened at UK, I don't think John Calipari survives it. But I could also see how nobody would care one way or the other what Eli Capilouto did. Like, it's just like – it just doesn't register to people, which is so bizarre because what Ramsey did is so much more important – in the grand scheme of things, than what Patino did or didn't do, but we don't care about that. We care about the other thing. That's just how it works. It's I mean, you know it better than anybody. That's it's all people care about is is basketball. Yeah. Well, not everybody, but a lot of well, people. I, I love people. You know what it, that, that goes. Now, I, I was talking outside with our boss Earl, and I was talking about the internet, and we were talking about you know you all got our first we got our first trend of the new station and you did very well the station trended up and he was like you know normally it takes a year to build up but i think the internet's changed everything including radio i mean you can build a show or see a show collapse a lot quicker than you used it like you know you get you get buzz etc 
you were when you started the blog. How old were you? Uh, it was two thousand nine ish, ten ish. So you were like twenty one. Right, a little bit older than that, yeah. So you're 21 years old. Um, I remember when you started it. What's interesting about the U of L side is on UK side, KSR is kind of the dominant force, and sure. then there's that the, the rivals message board, and those are kind of the two dominant force. But on the Louisville side, there's a lot of you all. Too many, <laughs> and I, 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 I don't. Everybody's got a blog now, and a little bit in a way, it's kind of. I don't really care. I don't really see a lot of his competition. But Mike Rutherford was the first Louisville blogger mm-hmm. that I – and he's a, he does a great job. And then I kind of came in a little bit after that. See, I think the two of you, to me, are the two main ones. Well, we got in earlier. And that's the thing. Yeah. In 2009, 2010, it, it wasn't that common. Nowadays, every fan starts a vlog. And you learn a lot along and the way. And they all fail. A lot of them end up having to because work. You don't, you, because it, I don't think you can start them now and it be successful. I'm with you. I agree. I think it's too late. I mean, I think you missed that train in some Especially ways. Especially where you can turn a profit from it. That's it's like, can anybody start a steel company tomorrow and it work? Like, you know I'm what I mean? You, like, yeah. they started, like, you missed the train, so you got to find up something else. So people will ask me sometimes, Matt, how do I get to do it? My thing is you got to figure out what the next technology is. You've missed this one. But you and Mike are interesting to me because you, Mike Rutherford runs uh, Card Chronicle. You have Card Connect. The Cardinal Connect. The, excuse me. This is going to be a big audience here, so the, I'm going to make sure I get that right. The Cardinal Connect. But you all seem to get along. Like, how do you not hate each other? Uh, I, we, I don't, I've, I've never, I just have a lot of respect for what, I think he's good. I mean, I have no reason to dislike. I think you should hate each other though. Like, why do you want that? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I don't think he, I'm ha- just saying, I like, don't think he hates me. I'm but. very impressed that you don't because it's hard in life. I think when you have one main competitor, if you're a, com- like I'm a competitive person, like at, at my age now, if there was an equivalent of Mike, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate him now. But when I was your age and I was getting started I'll be honest with you. I would have. I, I couldn't have helped. I couldn't have liked the other person. Well, with me, and that's not healthy. I'm just sure, saying that's what I would have. To be completely done. honest, whenever I started, and this, I, I don't mean this. I didn't know of that site, Card Card Chronicle, when I started, and then I learned about it, and I was like, okay, this is really good. Had I known about it, I may not have tried. May not have tried to start my own thing. And he was, he was so popular at the time because there was nobody else yeah i felt and i i never thought about taking like a shot at him or competing like that but i knew that even if that ever crossed my mind all it would do was probably alienate me from the big following because everybody has. liked him and we do yes they love him and he's he's a very he's a very funny guy great writer i know you know him mm-hmm. and i feel like over time after a few years to, to answer your question about how we kind of get along is that i think we have a lot of the same audience and probably. we do things a little differently when, when it comes to the content that we do. Well, I've always been a fan of both of you. I, well, thank I, you. I, I really like the fact that you have sort of done your own thing and, and succeeded. And I've always respected Mike. I mean, I've known, I gave Mike a job in 2010 when I was doing stuff for CBS, and he did some CBS stuff with me and Drew and a couple of the other guys. So I've always been a big fan of both of yours. But I am fascinated with how many of you all there are on that side. Because on the on the UK side – there's a couple fanboy stuff, and then there's the main, like the mainstream. Mainstream. You all, even with the smaller fan fan base, have more of the fan side. I think it hurts in a way to have as many as we do, and there's some that do a good job. It's just, um, you know, it, it. It. I think that's the new thing, to, and I think some people, the reason that they end up having to where they're blogging, they're cranking out five posts a day, and then a year later it's one a week. It's because they realize it's not easy. You can't just. Oh, dude, it's the hardest thing. In the world. It, like we we do twenty a day. 
You've got a lot of a lot of good writers for you. Yeah, and but I mean that's people don't realize. I used to do it by myself or with like and do just to do five a day is hard. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, you know, I laugh when I at the mainstream folks. Tyler and Drew write more in one day than most people write in a week. Well, you and know, what makes them so good and, and different than a lot of other sites? They're not copying and pasting press releases. They're entertaining. They're creative, yes, and, and which I think is even that, harder. Yeah. That goes a long way. Well. Well, listen, I, I want to uh, I wish you success, but I also, at the end of the day, when it's all over the scandal, what's the final result going to be? How, or let's, do it, let's do it individually. How long is Rick Pitino going to uh, coach here? He is going to coach here as long as he wants to. Yeah, but that's not what I asked you. How it's, long is he going to coach here? His contract runs out in 2020, I believe, and I would assume he'll be there, to, he'll be there till then. Through so five years. Okay. Um, I'm still. I still think there's a chance he can be gone. I don't think he will. And that's not an insane thing to think about, especially just because if he gets in. another year. I mean, I, I think it's still on the table they could get another year. And I and it's it's funny because fans, I agree with everything you just said. I agree with the fans are almost universally in support of him. But I think they turn on him if he gets another year, even though nothing would have changed. You're right. Nothing would have changed, but it would just be. And some would just say, okay, well, I thought it would. I thought we'd get off a little bit easier than this. Yeah, he thought and, that too and, when he goes out to eat and stuff, but go ahead. Stop it. Um, but in the end, I, I, I think what ends up happening is, I don't know when it'll happen, but I think, I mean, that's just, I think there'll be a suspension for Rick Pitino. Obviously, there could be more, but that's what I think ends up happening, and um, that'll be it. Does it bother you that he's 1-8 and eight against Cal? Absolutely. Is that the me. only thing fans don't like about him? No, and... <laughs> I'll finish with this because I get so much crap from the fan base, the UL fan base, because I take I don't take it personal. I'm not playing, but you need to beat your rival every now and then. And then of course the, the the spin is, well, it's just one game. It doesn't matter. And I'm like, well, it kind of does because you kind of you're, you're you know it, it hasn't you got a long way to. I mean, even if they were to win this year, you'd still be two and whatever. So yeah. it it I. I think that's probably the biggest gripe from fans, but then again, he st- he. Some people still are kind of like, well, he flipped it us matter. off, right? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, not wasn't there. Didn't see it. Oh goodness! <laughs> I'm just messing with you, Nick. Uh, do you have business cards? I don't, but if I do, I know I'm going to hit a Vistaprint. Vistaprint. This one for the podcast. Use a promo code Matt. Five hundred business cards, nine ninety nine. You can get them, and it can say you can get like three of them: the Card Connect, Card Connect, the Cardinal Connect. Get all, all of them. them. Get all of them. Connect Card, Connect Four. And go to VistaPrint.com. You can get the text, the color, the back, the front, whatever. It's easy to use and user friendly. Just use the promo code Matt. Five hundred business cards, nine ninety nine. You can't beat the price. You can't beat the quality. Get one. Put your face on there because you have your little caricature face. Yeah, and over time, like after I had a kid, I got a lot fatter, so now my face is fatter. You're not fat. Really look like me anymore. Nah, it looks like you. You're you're still as young as. I mean, you're wearing a V neck for goodness sake, right? Yeah, now. this. Uh, yeah, that shirt is a little. Do you have any promotions or any sponsors for like getting in shape? Because I need that. Uh, now you got to talk to Tony with Body Shape <laughs> body Medical. <laughs> but, I don't uh, get their demo, but I'm sure you're a little a young for that. Vistaprint.com <laughs> promo code Matt. Uh, thank you very much. Let's get on the phone and let's call our man uh, Alex Kennedy from from uh, Basketball Insiders. All right, now we are happy to be joined from BasketballInsiders.com. Alex Kennedy, who is going to talk a little NBA with us. Alex, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, I have to tell you, I, I really enjoy the NBA playoffs. It's one of my favorite things to watch. And, of course, with the draft coming up in UK, guys, that's always interesting. But this year in particular, 
I felt like there were four teams in the NBA that were really good, and then there was a huge gap to everybody else. I felt like it was the Warriors, the Spurs, the Thunder, Cavs, and then everybody else was way below. And now we finally get to see the teams; those teams play each other, and that's exciting. Did you agree with that just sort of as the, the league as a whole this season? Yeah, I would agree with you. I think, uh, you know, there are some years where it's not clear who's going to win the championship, and there's, you know, a, a long list of contenders. But, you know, I look at this year, yeah, I saw Cleveland, San Antonio, Golden State, Oklahoma City, and I thought those were really the top teams. You know, all year long I said there really wasn't a team uh, in the Eastern Conference that could compete with Cleveland just because when they're at full strength and uh, playing their best basketball, playing their full potential, they're just so dominant. And, you know, you looked at all the other teams in the Eastern Conference, uh, you know, Toronto, they had a lot of issues. Miami had injuries and, uh, and issues as well. There were just a lot of teams in the East that had question marks. And sure enough, you know, Cleveland has ran through the Eastern Conference, hasn't lost a game yet. Um, you know, I think there were some, surpri- some surprises in the Western Conference, like uh, the Spurs losing. Uh, I think all year long people expected the Spurs and Warriors to be in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it's unfortunate that there are so few contending teams. I-, I think now in the NBA we see you have to have multiple stars uh, to be able to compete at a high level and to be in the running for a championship. So some of these teams that, you know, are, are just good, uh, that have one star and, and, you know, a good supporting cast, that's typically not enough. Uh, and I think that's why, you know, there's so much intrigue around free agents and what stars are going to team up because you really need that in today's NBA to really contend. Now, I, I, I don't disagree with any of that, but I also I want to go through each of these kind of one by one. I, Oklahoma City, to me, is the most fascinating because Billy Donovan, who I loved – I mean, he was at Kentucky as an assistant. I always thought he would end up coaching at Kentucky as a head coach at some point. He still may one day. But he he got destroyed by you NBA types all year. Like, he can't coach. He can't coach. This college guy, he looks lost. It's now, as we we do this, 1-1 in the Golden State Series. But he beat in the last round arguably one of, if not the best coach of all time, do we say that Billy Donovan is doing a good job, or is everybody just going to go, well, he has Durant and Westbrook, and so it doesn't matter? No, I think he's done a fantastic job. And, you know, during the season, I, I kept hearing that criticism, too. You know, if you go on Twitter during Thunder games, people were criticizing him so much. You know, people were writing articles or uh, bashing him uh, in broadcast, talking about how he wasn't very effective and uh, how, you know, the, the team wasn't playing their full potential. But he's done a much better job of getting a lot out of this group than Scott Brooks did. Um, I think Scott Brooks is a good coach, too, but I just look at Donovan, you know, the adjustments he has made. I think arguably the biggest adjustment of the entire postseason was playing Steven Adams and Ennis Cantor together because Adams and Cantor, they're, they're both, uh, you know, obviously able to score the ball, and uh, they play good defense. You know, Adams is very good uh, you know, at rebounding and defending, and Cantor has really stepped up his defense during this postseason, and I think that's why they were able to give the Spurs so many problems and why they were able to win game one. Um, you know, they can put that front court out there and those guys, you know, compliment Durant and Westbrook. And I, I give Donovan credit for making that adjustment. Um, so I think he's done a great job. And I think he's really silenced a lot of the doubters in this postseason because it's very difficult, you know, to beat Popovich in a series, it's difficult to go win road games in San Antonio and Golden State. So I think, uh, you know, any criticism he faced, I think he's really showed that, you know, he is a very good coach. And also, I think people are kind of unfairly criticizing him because. When you're in your first year as an NBA head coach with a brand new team, that's pretty difficult. You know, last year I think. I mean, yeah, they didn't give him. Going. They didn't give him any learning curve at all. I mean, they they acted exactly. like he should come in and immediately. I mean, nobody comes in at their first jobs immediately amazing. 
And, and you know, he also has two sort of really great players, but they're also kind of, you know, they have egos, et cetera. I, I, I just yeah. thought it was amazing. Was it just because he coached college? Is that why you think people were like that? Honestly, I, I think that was a big part of it. And I think that's pretty foolish because you saw what Brad Stevens has done in Boston. And, yeah, you know, I think college coaches, there's a negative perception of them that, you know, they can't succeed at the NBA level. But I, I don't think that's fair to, you know, throw that at all college coaches. I think it really depends on each person. Um, you know, it, it takes, certainly takes time to adjust to the NBA level, but, you know, he's done a very good job. I, I think, uh, you know, he stepped in and, and really done a good job there. So I, I think any criticism of him or people saying, oh, you know, he's not going to be a coach for a long time or Kevin Durant may be upset that he's there. I think that's all really foolish. He's done a terrific job. You know, Ennis is there, and I we, of course, remember him here. He never got to play here, but I like the guy a lot. He has a really creepy mustache. But beyond that, has <laughs> has really found a way to, to – I mean, when you mentioned he and Adams, they're both so much more mobile than you would think that they would be. And when I watch them, when they're clicking, you know, they, they sort of – they're working, and it's that argument you always hear Charles Barkley talk about, which is why everybody thinks you have to go small against Golden State. Oklahoma City's trying to beat them by going big, and do you think it can work? I think that's their best shot because and you're not going to be able to beat uh, Golden State playing small. You know that's their game. You don't want to try to match that. You know death lineup as a, as people call it when you know they have Curry. Thompson, Iguodala, Barnes, Green. You know, that's extremely hard to slow down. And I don't think any team has the personnel or the versatility to be able to match that lineup if he goes small and play their game. So I think it was the right move to try to go big, especially because, like you said, they are so mobile. And I know a lot of teams couldn't do that against the Warriors. A lot of teams don't have, you know, a Steven Adams and a Cantor to put down low, but the Thunder have that. So it makes a lot of sense to put those guys in, you know, let them use their mobility on the defensive end. Um, and then let them use their size and their rebounding ability to uh, really cause problems against Golden State. And it was interesting. In game one, I think they won that game because those guys were very effective down low, and then you had Draymond Green missing threes. He didn't hit a single three. He missed all of his attempts that game. So when he can't stretch the floor and make the Thunder pay for having those guys on the floor, then uh, you know that's, that's a huge advantage for the Thunder, and, and they can just dominate uh, with those guys. And, and they can't play Westbrook too. And they can't play Draymond at the five. Because of exactly. rebounding, so they're playing him at the four, where he's a little less effective. It just makes sense, uh, you know, to me. Is Steph Curry the best shooter of all time? I mean, that that fifteen point barrage he got in this last game was insane. I know he's been a little off since his injury, but can, is there? I think there's a good argument he's the best shooter to ever play. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I, I think not only does he do a terrific job of, you know, catching and shooting. He can score off the dribble and just makes it look so easy when, you know, there's defenders in the space. He can pull up from pretty much anywhere, uh, past the half-court line. Um, you know, some of the shots he makes, they're just ridiculous, and he makes them look so easy. And I think, you know, it, it, he was being discussed as the best shooter of all time last year that he was in the conversation. But I think this year he really solidified himself as that when he hit, you know, 400-plus threes. That's just ridiculous. He uh, destroyed his own record. So, I think he, he's definitely there. You know, I, I think a lot of people want to see him do it over the course of his entire career, and, um, you know, they want to see him be able to sustain this. But as of right now, he's certainly on track to be the best three-point shooter ever. And, you know, these last few seasons have been very special. I, I'm not sure anyone can do what he's doing. Now, and on the other side, you know, you, you mentioned the Heat and, and – or excuse me, the Cavs, and, and it strikes me that they're finally playing as well as they should should have maybe all year. I mean, they're finally sort of clicking – you know they've that Kevin Love looks comfortable, et cetera. 
they're playing the 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 Raptors, and the Raptors are not going to win the series. But like, if the Raptors are in the West, what seed are they? Like, how much worse are they? than these other teams. They're clearly behind those top three, but are they worse than the Clippers? Are they worse than the than Portland, do you think? Well, I think they'd be competing around Portland for that same spot. Um, I do think they'd be worse than the Clippers just because, um, you know, the Clippers have a lot of star power and they played pretty well this year. I think Toronto would be, you know, competing for, you know, five, six, maybe, maybe around there. Um, but I definitely put Golden State, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, and L.A. ahead of them. Um, but they, they played pretty well this year. I do give them credit. During the regular season, they did a good job. You know, they played well defensively. And then guys like Kyle Lowry and DeMarco Rosen, they were able to score enough in the regular season um, to be able to give you know Toronto a, a lot of wins. But in the playoffs, I think that's the biggest problem for them, that you can't, you, know, you can't go on shooting routes like Kyle Lowry has, and you can't be inefficient like DeMarco Rosen has. Uh, and obviously injuries haven't helped either with Jonas Allen shooting down. You know, I think in the first round, he was arguably their best player. So it's been a tough postseason for them, but I'm not sure their style necessarily works in the playoffs uh, because, you know, Lowry and DeRozan, they can disappear at times. And I think also you have to be mentally tougher than they are. Um, we've seen, you know, this team can give up any lead. Uh, they miss free throws at times during, you know, But they've won, moments. they've won two game um, sevens. I mean, they've won two game sevens. Yeah, no, right? they have, they have. That's been, that, that was impressive. I'll give them that. But there are just certain times where you don't feel comfortable with any lead. And I think that's concerning in the playoffs for sure. Um, and yeah, you know, DeRozan did step up in last game seven and Lowry has hit some big shots, but just overall, you know, if we're talking about where they'd be in the West and, you know, if they actually had a shot at, you know, contending for a championship, I really don't think so. I think they're a good team, but not a great team. All right. I want to ask you about a debate I had on the radio today with, uh, with Drew Franklin, my, my co-host for the day. I give you an NBA team. You have to choose who are you taking? Towns or Davis? Okay, that's tough. <laughs> oh, oh, are you going each by each team or just in no, general? No, no, I'm. You have you're a GM. It's that you're. Oh, okay. Everything gotcha. is open. Who am I taking? Oh, okay. Who am I taking? Am I building my team around Carl Towns or Anthony Davis? I'm taking Towns. Uh, you know, I thought we were going each team, you know, team by team based on their personnel. But no, I'm taking Towns. I think. Um, as great as Anthony Davis is, Towns is younger. He just had one of the best rookie seasons in NBA history, uh, finishing uh, in PER only behind Tim Duncan, Michael Jordan, David Robinson, and Shaq. Uh, he was fantastic as a rookie. I think we've seen he can be a terrific two-way player. And look, I love Anthony Davis, but I think the fact that Towns is younger and the fact that Towns hasn't had you know some of these injuries he's had to deal with, I think that's really what separates it for me. You know, Davis, if he's healthy, he's fantastic. We know that. Um, but the, the injuries and the fact that he's a bit older, I think Towns is the guy. Um, both players are, are phenomenal, though. Both guys you know, are franchise cornerstone-type players, um, but I'm just a big Towns fan. I, I think Towns is going to be one of the best players in the NBA uh, in, in a few years. And look, Davis could too, but there are some concerns there, uh, whereas Towns does not have those yet. Yeah, well, isn't he? I mean, he's already one of the best. I, I know he didn't make the All-Star right. team, but he probably should have even after a half a year. Um, is it the case that the three best big men in the league are the Kentucky guys, Towns, Davis, DeMarcus? Yeah, I think so. I, I think they really are. I think those guys, uh, every single night they fill a stat sheet. Um, you know, they're just so hard to guard. I talked to NBA, you know, big men. Uh, after after uh, playing Anthony Davis, I was talking to some guys 
um, you know, on the Orlando Magic and the Miami Heat, and they were just saying, you know, nothing you can do is good enough. And the same is the case with the, it's the same thing with the, the, the Marcus. You know, you can play him really well, and you can think you're having a great game, but then he just drops, you know, a ton of points on you, gets tons of rebounds. You know, those guys are very special players. And Towns, he's definitely on track to be there. Uh, I think, you know, if you're Minnesota, you have to love the fact that, you know, you drafted him and that, you know, he's the face of your franchise moving forward along with Andrew Wiggins. I'm really excited to see what Tom Thibodeau does with him and, and how he develops Towns. But, yeah, I think those three right now certainly have, a, have an argument. Would you were you as I was surprised at how good Devin Booker was coming into the league. I mean, I thought he could have a good career, but he arguably was the third or fourth best rookie behind Towns, Porzingis, you know, maybe Okafor. I mean, he was right there and by the end of the year was cooking. Is it just is a pro, is it a product of playing in that fast-paced sun system or or do you think Devin in the new NBA can be an all-star? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think the Sun system did help him, and the injuries there uh, gave him a big opportunity. Um, you know, whenever Eric Bledsoe and Brandon Knight were shaken up, you know, he really stepped in and did a really good job in that backcourt, shooting the ball. I think last year, if I remember correctly, you know, a lot of people, including people at Basketball Insiders, were saying, you know, he's the best shooter in the draft, but I think people wondered, you know, can he create his own shot? Can he be a guy that, you know, scores the ball a lot? And I think initially people were saying that he would take a few years to develop, that, you know, he was going to be a very good player down the road, but because he was so young, you know, he needed to bulk up a little bit and gain some experience. I think that was kind of the, uh, the you know, knock on him a bit, that he, he was, you know, very young. But he stepped in and was terrific. Like you said, he was one of the best rookies this last year. And I do think in today's NBA, he could be, you know, a star. I think that, um, you know, in the older NBA, he may have just been a catch-and-shoot player, a guy that is a three-point specialist. But, uh Shooting is just so important now in the NBA, and it seems like he's going to get the opportunity to score the ball. You know, some people in Phoenix are even saying that the the Suns should trade either, uh, you know, one of their backcourt guys and make room for Booker to start because, you know, it seems like he's uh, part of their backcourt of the future. Um, he definitely has an opportunity to become a star. All right, so let's play this game. Let's do the U.K. player the Cal players in the NBA draft. I mean, there's a couple guys that aren't Cal guys that are in the UK, or that were UK guys in the in the league. Rondo, Nazi, still in the league. Tayshon, but in general, most of the guys are Cal guys, and he's got like 18. So I want to I want you to, to to put your hat on and say when their career is over, okay, when it's all said and done, and the career is over, I want you to work with me here and rank who will have had the best careers of Cal's UK guys. Okay. Now, now if you to, to just sort of to go over who our choices are. Okay, so you got Wall, DeMarcus, yeah. Bledsoe. Then the next year was Brandon Knight, basically. The next year is Anthony Davis, Terrence Jones. I'll even throw Ennis in there, Cantor. All right, then you go with the next year, you've got uh, Archie Goodwin, essentially. That's Nerland's Noel. Then the next year's Julius Randle, and then you have the big run of Towns, Booker, uh, Lyles, Willie, et cetera. And then I'll go ahead and throw in Tyler Eulis, Jamal Murray, and Scal. All right, so with that in mind, rank for me your top five when their career is over. We'll look back on them and rank them how. Well, first of all, there's so many guys. It's, just, it's amazing what, what Dougie's been able to do. You know, If I did this game with other schools, it would be a pretty quick game. But, you know, you, you read down the list, it's ridiculous how many guys that Cal has produced. Um, I would say Cal's number one. Okay. Um, look, you know, that, I think that's based on 
you know, his potential and what he could become. You kind know, of amazing because Anthony older. Davis was supposed to be the future, the future of the league, and now you're all, yeah, and, no, and, and Towns sure. is the is the one. I don't disagree with you, but it's amazing how that's yeah. happened so quickly. No, you're right. I would say Davis, too. Um, after that, it gets kind of tough because I love John Wall. I'm a huge John Wall fan. You know, I've known him for, for quite some time, and I think he's one of the most underrated point guards in the NBA because I, I think he is a superstar. But I think it's either Cousins or Wall next. I would probably have to say probably have to say Wall then Cousins, um, and then after that, man, that that's okay. Fun. So I have, I'm with you. I, I totally agree with your entire list right there, and I would go in that order. But fifth, all right. So I guess your choices would be Randall Booker, probably Knight, Bledsoe, yeah. And then maybe whatever you think of Jamal Murray. So where would you go? Then? I was going to say, give me, I think as of right now, I may go either Randall or Murray. Because I like, I'm really high on Murray. I think he's a guy that could be very good in the NBA, very good scorer. You know, he could be uh, one of the really high picks in this draft. And I think he's going to get an opportunity from day one to be a really good scorer and, uh, you know, one of the go to guys on a team. I like Randall a lot, but. Um, you know, from what from some, I've heard some things about him in Los Angeles that you know. Well, what have you heard? Because I wonder about Randall in Los Angeles. First of all, this year was a complete disaster because Kobe wouldn't go away. It was even though I mean I loved Kobe's last game, but other than that, it was a wasted year. I watch Randall, and he still doesn't look comfortable to me. I saw a Randall in high school who was amazing, got up and down the floor, could dribble. At Kentucky, he played more of a, of a post-game rebounding, et cetera, but he was very good at that. I've not seen either of those things in L.A. What do you think of Randall? Yeah, it's really strange. Uh, you know, I've heard from people in the L.A. that said, you know, he, he doesn't practice, you know, enough that the work ethic is there. And that's really surprising to me because, you know, I did one of the first national articles on Randall when he was in high school, and, you know, I loved his game. And like you said, you're just so – versatile and able to, you know, do so many things at the high school level. And then in college, he was used a little bit differently, but you're right. You know, he doesn't seem comfortable in LA. And, and I, I think I'm, you know, I, I put Randall five probably just because I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Luke Walton can do for him. I think Byron Scott, he wasn't really the right guy to have there for, for the young players uh, on the Lakers. And he, he wasn't great at developing Clarkson and Randall and Russell and uh, Nance. Some of those guys, you know, they didn't really get to, you know, play to their full potential under him. So I think he could still develop into that guy that, you know, was so dominant uh, prior to joining the NBA. Um, but I think he does have to work a little bit harder. You know, if those criticisms are true that, you know, he's not putting in the practice time and they want to see more from him from a work ethic standpoint, um, then, you know, that that's certainly something he needs to step up and, and do. Uh, but I do think that the coaching change could really help him. And look, when you play for the Lakers, you have, you know, national spotlight, you get tons of exposure, he could be that guy that steps up and becomes, you know, the face of the franchise potentially with Kobe Bryant gone now. Do you, you know, worry? Do you worry about if they pick Ben Simmons, which I think is very likely because I feel like 76ers don't need another big guy who can't shoot, and so they probably take Ingram. And, and so if the Lakers take Simmons, don't you worry that they're sort of the same position? Well, I, I would argue that I think Simmons could help him because I think Simmons, he's more of a point forward. He's the guy that's going to have the ball in his hands and, you know, create for other players. Like you said, I, you know, I, I do agree. In my, in my mock draft, I had uh, Ingram going to the Sixers because they need that, you know, number one scorer on the perimeter. Uh, and then Simmons, I, I just think he's the kind of guy that really would benefit from playing with, you know, other offensive weapons. And I think he could actually help guys like Russell and Randall and really help them take that next step 
because he's going to find them for easy buckets. And I think, you know, he's not going to be that, that go-to guy. He's going to be more of a guy that's a triple-double threat each night, plays good defense, you know, fills the stat sheet. And that could actually help Randall. You know, if it, you know, it really depends how they use him. You know, if they want to play him at point forward, then that's certainly going to help Randall. Um, you know, I, they could put him at the four, like you said, and that could be an issue. But, you know, I look at Simmons' game, and I think he's the kind of guy that, you know, elevates his teammates' play. Now, looking at the draft this year, okay, so I, I, I agree with you about Jamal Murray. I think he can be a superstar. I worry a little bit about work ethic with him, but at the same time, he's so talented that I feel like he can't help but be very, very good. When I look at how the draft falls, I assume Ingram goes one, uh, Simmons two, the Croatian kid maybe to, to Boston at three. I can't imagine Phoenix needs another shooter. So I like Jamal Murray at five. They're with the T-Wolves playing with Towns and Wiggins. I feel like he would fit in perfectly there. Do you agree? Yeah, it's, it's very possible. I agree the top the top four uh, isn't probably – uh, you know, realistic for him, unless maybe, you know, Boston falls in love with him. You know, in our in our first mock draft, you know, the four people at Basketball Insiders, two of them had him going to Boston. Uh, my, my boss, Steve Tyler, and my colleague, Joel Brigham. But, you know, I, I'm not sure. They do need shooting. They do need scoring, I think. But, you know, they ha- they like Isaiah Thomas and yeah. uh, Avery Bradley an awful lot there. So I, I had him slipping a little bit in the draft. Um, you know, I think number five to Minnesota is a possibility, but at the same time, you know, they believe Ricky Rubio is their point guard in the future. They do need shooting, though. That's where, you know, but Murray Jamal can the play guy, the two. I mean, he played the two at exactly, Kentucky. I mean, I, I, he can do it if he needed to. He is, and he is more of a combo guard for sure because, you know, he's going to be a score first guy. And I think, you know, some of the questions about Murray are about, you know, his ability to facilitate and uh, be that point guard. Uh, so I think uh, if they look at him as a two, then, you know, that's a possibility. But they also have Zach Levine there who's kind of, uh, he really developed in the second half of last year, and you know he was shooting threes well and playing much better. So I'm not sure if they, you know, see him fitting into that backcourt. Uh, it's it's very possible. I think he could go number five, but um, you know after that, you know New Orleans at six. I think they have to take him there. Um, you know that's where you kind of wonder: is it Chris Dunn or is it Jamal Murray? And there's such opposites. Obviously, Murray is so much younger, a scorer. Uh, Chris Dunn is you know one of the oldest players in the draft, terrific defender bit more experienced, but Murray has a higher upside. So I think his absolute floor is probably six to New Orleans, or if, we're, if for whatever reason they take Chris Dunn, then eight to Sacramento. You know, the Nuggets have Emmanuel Moutier. Well, I don't know if I know, can watch. I, I can't watch another Kentucky guy go to Sacramento. I mean, I feel like it's such a disaster. Is the dude they got – is the dude they just got that coach – does does he have a chance to Dave succeed? Yeager. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, he does. He was really good in Memphis, and um, you know, he got his guys to buy in. Uh, I think he, I think he's a very good coach. I think he's one of the better young coaches in the NBA. Um, you know, the fact that he was able to take Memphis to the playoffs this year, despite all their injuries, uh, was phenomenal. You know, I want to say they had 25, 26 guys on the roster this year, just because they had yeah. so many injuries, and they were just, you know, bringing new guys in, and that, that's extremely hard to do as a coach when you know guys aren't experienced and the team has no chemistry, just because you have so many new guys and. Uh, I, th- I think he did a great job. He's a great motivator. I think he's very good with X's and O's. You know, Minnesota was looking at him last year. They wanted to hire him. Uh, he was highly coveted around the NBA. So I think it was a good get for Sacramento. All right. So now I, the, the, the mystery to folks in Kentucky, myself included, and I love the kid because he's a nice kid, is Scal. I'm looking at these mock yep. drafts, and I'm seeing Scal 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th. 
Look, I, I get you don't have to convince me the talent he can show, all right? I know the big man that shoots like him, he's got pretty good footwork, got decent like hands. I mean, I get it. At the same time, I watched him play 35 games last year. Yep. And with the exception of maybe one or two, I never felt like he was one of Kentucky's five best players. Is he really going to go – Ninth through twelfth, and if he does, would you take him there? Well, I I wouldn't take him there, but I do think one of these NBA teams will because we went to a private workout of his in Chicago just before the combine, and it's ridiculous. It's so frustrating. I know for Kentucky and for NBA teams too, they're trying to evaluate him because in the gym he looks like you know one of the best players in this draft, if not the best. But he's not and, playing and, you know, against anybody. Like I mean, that's exactly that, that's that, that, that should matter, doesn't it? But here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. Coaches look at an executive player. Coaches, executives look at a player that's doing that in the gym and think, okay, well, maybe it was Kentucky. Maybe it was a teammate. If we get him in our system and we can put him in our development program, what can he become? And you know, all coaches do this. All executives do this. And you know, I, I think that's maybe them being a bit higher in themselves and their system, but it happens in the NBA. So when you see a guy that's absolutely dominating a workout, you know, and dominating one-on-one and things like that, you know, they get excited. But I will say this. I talked to NBA teams that have said the concern with Scal is that, you know, he can't do what he does in a workout in a game. You know, he disappears during games. The intensity isn't there. I think he cracks under pressure. Uh, teams have said those kind of things that, you know, he, he can't flip that switch. And uh, certainly that's what you're talking about at Kentucky where, you know, he looks amazing one day and is a top recruit. And then, you know, during games, the pressure gets to him. I think expectations were really high at Kentucky and he wasn't able to handle that. Um, so, I mean, that's where you have to wonder, okay, if you're a lottery pick, those same things are going to happen. You're going to be expected to be, you know, uh, a guy that makes a huge impact in the franchise. And um, if, you know, you're, you're – Having that pressure again, what's he going to do? But I mean, I do but think how, the pressure's not going to – look, the pressure's huge at Kentucky. I get that. But this yeah. is the NBA. I mean, listen, I watched – I saw him play two games this year, literally two, where I thought, okay, that's a star. One was against NJIT, and I don't think that counts. And the other was against LSU when the last game of the year when he kind of played better than Ben Simmons. But at some point, don't the other 33 games matter? Yeah, no, they, they absolutely do. And I think that's why NBA teams are having you know, trouble with this. Because I think you know, if he goes 11-12, you know, a team may be very disappointed in a few years when he's not able to be what they thought he could be. But I do know just because he's dominating workouts and you know, teams love potential, as we know. You know, they fall in love with these guys that have potential. And they think, okay, well, if we get him in our development program, he's going to be great. And look, I'll give him credit. He's been at IMG Academy here in Bradenton, Florida, for a while now. Been working extremely hard. Um, you know, they have him working with a conditioning coach, strength and training coach, nutritionist. You know, he's doing everything right throughout the pre-draft process. Um, but with that said, you know, he he lost weight, and at the combine, he was 216 pounds, I believe, and that's even smaller than he was at Kentucky. So I think there's some concern about. You know, if pre-draft training is causing him to lose weight like that, you know, is he going to be able to keep weight on during NBA season? Is he going to be able to develop into that guy that NBA teams hope he can be? You know, those are the questions right now. And again, you know, it's tough whenever you don't have that intensity and whenever you can't 
step up in, in games. I hope he does, but I'll, yeah, be, I, I'll be surprised. But that, the, NBA, the NBA pressure is there, too, when you're making millions of dollars yeah. in your lottery pick and you know, executive went on a limb for you. It can be tough. All right, just a couple more things. Tyler Eulis, I think he – to me, I don't see how he fails. I, I I don't know that he'll be a star, but I can't see that kid failing. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think he'll be he'll be a productive NBA player, whether that's you know starting at point guard and, and you know making an impact that way, or even just coming off the bench. At the very least, I see him being you know uh, a terrific backup point guard, and you know that may sound like a criticism, but I, I think like you said, he has the leadership. He's a very good floor general. Um, the concern, obviously, is the height, um, and not just not not just his height. Actually, it's his size in general. Because you know he's five ten, but then you look at his weight, one hundred and forty nine pounds at the combine. That's concerning. You know, teams wonder how is he going to hold up when he's matched up against NBA level point guards. Um, you know, you're giving up sometimes four inches to them, but also giving up you know sixty seventy pounds. Someone like Isaiah Thomas, for example, he's obviously you know, the guy that all short point guards point to and say, okay, he's having success, I can do that too. Isaiah Thomas weighs 185 pounds. So I think the weight is a concern. They need to get him bulked up. Whatever team drafts him needs to see if he can put on weight and and hold on to that weight, kind of like Scal. You know, they need him to really bulk up. But, yeah, I love his game. And, And when I talk to teams, there's no concern about his game. You know, all the question marks surrounding him are, you know, height and weight related. Uh, I had him going number 20 in our, uh, in our last mock draft, Indiana. Um, you know, I think that's kind of the range for him. Some people have him going later first round, maybe early second round at worst. But I agree with you. I think he's a great kid, great leader, great floor general, and he can have a, a very long NBA career. Last question. You know, Cal Perry said this week he was likely to retire at Kentucky. Um, you know, it was probably the strongest thing he's ever said in terms of, like, I'm going to stay here. Do you uh, – do, do, do NBA, what is the NBA thought? I mean, we here in Kentucky think that the NBA is always looking into Cal. I know it has happened occasionally. Do you think the, in the NBA, Cal is a commodity? I think so. I think he's a commodity just because teams look at him and think, okay, he's had a lot of success in college, but at the same time, you know, that list of NBA players you rattled off earlier is a big reason why he's a commodity because – Teams not only think, okay, if we have a Kentucky guy, he can reach them. They think he could be a recruiter down yeah. the road where Kentucky guys may want to come together and play. And as you mentioned in the beginning, you know, this interview, you have to have multiple stars to win. And as it turns out, you know, many of these players from Kentucky end up being stars that, you know, have relationships and obviously have a relationship to Cal. So I think that's the reason he's coming up. Any of these teams that want to make splashy moves and really try to, you know, assemble multiple stars, you know, Cal makes sense to bring up at least. I do think that his name does come up more than he's looked at because uh, teams are, are constantly like throwing his name out there. Uh, the media sometimes mentions his name even if he's not involved in a search because you know he is an intriguing possibility for a lot of teams. So I do think his name is mentioned a bit more than uh, you know it comes up more in the media than it does you know in front offices. I would say, but like you said, there have been a few times now where there's been serious interest in him. And uh, I think that's because he's a good coach. But, at the very, you know, at the same time, he's a great recruiter with a ton of star players that respect him and know him. And not even just the guys that are from Kentucky either. You know, you, you look at guys on the NBA that respect him. You know, he has a relationship with LeBron James and a number of these guys. Uh, I, I think that's a big reason why he comes up. But, you know, he would be very expensive in the NBA. That's the other thing. Uh, he's making a lot of money at Kentucky. He's very happy there. It would take a crazy contract to, to get him away from Kentucky. 
And I think there's, you know, only a few teams that'd be willing to pay that. Uh, you know, a lot of teams are, are a bit cheaper than that. So uh, it's very possible he stays in Kentucky long term. Yeah, I, I think I think he does now. I think he ends up retiring here, which is not something I've thought a lot of his career, but I do now. Hey, Alex, thank you very much. Alex Kennedy, basketballinsiders.com. I really enjoyed it. And by the way, before you get gone, Alex, you should go to bonobos.com. Are you, are you a guy that likes to look good, like to look stylish? Of course. I'm not very good at it, but I like to. Exactly. <laughs> and, you, and who wants to go shopping? Because it's terrible. And nobody wants right. to go like clothes shopping. So if you go to bonobos.com, they have clothes for any body type, any fit, everything from jeans, shirts, maybe for golf, jackets, whatever you want. It doesn't matter your size or, or if you're tall or whatever. You can get it at bonobos.com. And here's what I'm going to do for you, Alex, since you came on the show. If you go All to right. b-o-n-o-b-o-s.com, bonobos, and put in the promo code Matt Jones, just my name spelled out, they're going to give you 20% off. Not just you, Alex, but anybody. <laughs> yeah. But you can. Wow, but you what can, a deal. What? See, look, you can do this ad thing. Bonobos.com, <laughs> B-O-N-O-B-O-S.com, promo code Matt Jones, 20% off. I promise you, if you're a guy listening and you want clothes that look good, that's the way to go at Bonobos. Alex, thank you very much, sir. Thanks a lot. Take care. Now it's time to switch gears a little bit and go from the NBA to uh, talking about the other contact sport, politics, our resident Matt Jones podcast political correspondent from the New York Times, Jonathan Martin. Uh, Jonathan, how are you, sir? Hey, Matt. Good, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you. All right, so we got a lot of stuff to talk. We had the Kentucky primary here Tuesday. I don't think it's – there's. It's probably, you probably have to go back to Robert Kennedy in 68 to see a time that a candidate visited Kentucky during the primary season as much as Hillary did. She ended up winning by 2,000 votes. My question yeah. is, did it matter? Like, like, she seemed to really take this Kentucky primary seriously. Why? They wanted to get a win because she's tired of being the eventual nominee who keeps losing these races. Um, every Democrat knows that the numbers still work for Bernie Sanders, that Hillary's on track to be the nominee. But she has this calendar that keeps dogging her because the nature of some of these states that are remaining favor Bernie. And so I think she and her husband were sick of losing on their way to winning and wanted to find somewhere that they could score a victory. So they spent money on ads there, and they hadn't spent money, by the way, on TV in Indiana. They did in Kentucky, and she spent a lot of time there. And as you know, the, the Clintons have ties to the state. They're close to, um, to they're, they're close to the Lundergans and obviously uh, the Bashirs. And Bill Clinton won twice there when he was president. And they went in there, and they just wanted to get what really is a symbolic win because they'll get why she doesn't mean that much. She's going to be the nominee, but they wanted to get a symbolic win. Uh, to prove that, yes, she can win among some of these, you know, white, more moderate, conservative Democrats. I didn't think she was going to win, to be honest with you, because of her cold yeah. comments. But I do think her coming helped during that period. She made 10 stops yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely. Do you... I was struck by the map. You know, you, know, you mentioned the coal comments. If you look at the map of Kentucky, she got wiped out in coal country, at least the eastern Kentucky part of, of coal country. I mean, you know... The Hal Rogers district. She, she just got got devoured out there by, by Bernie. But as you know, um, more bodies live in Lexington, Louisville, and Northern Kentucky 
And in those three regions, she did very well. Which is odd because those are the more liberal regions. So you would think they would gravitate to Bernie, which is really strange to me. But it was a that's what makes the map kind of weird to me. Like she won Louisville by a significant amount, and I yeah. that, you would think that would have been where Bernie would have done well. Yeah, I think a strong African American sport yeah. combined with um, you know solid backing among women. And keep in mind too, uh, Kentucky, unlike Indiana was a closed primary. So only Democrats could vote. So whatever contingent of progressive independents there there were in a place like Louisville, they couldn't vote because it was was Dems only. Yeah, and that that I think is a really good point, especially in Louisville. All right, so now I I look at her her winning i mean she, she's going there's no scenario where she's not the nominee right i mean she 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 it's over so why does bernie like what why does he keep doing this what what is his end game i think he first of all he, he truly believes in um the issues that he's talking about he's sort of dedicated his life to this progressive agenda and he's gotten a taste of success and he doesn't want to just walk away right now after he keeps winning uh, the math doesn't work anymore, but he wants to stay in the race to, I think, uh, hold her accountable, keep pushing her toward more of a liberal agenda, uh, and then at the convention, see what he can do to put his imprint on her candidacy and, and on this party. You know, the irony is that he, he was not even in the party. You know, yeah, that's But he wants to sort of push them more to the left. Now, I'm skeptical that Bill and Hillary Clinton are going to want to do him any favors whatsoever at the convention. I think they're sick of Bernie Sanders. So I don't know how much leverage Matt he's going to have here when all is said and done. Um, but that's going to be a sort of test for the convention. All right. So now we get to, I mean, we've started the kind of general election thing. And I, I have always assumed in my own mind, I talked about this on my radio show today, that that Trump could get the nomination, but that he can't win the general election. And then I saw the poll from Fox News yesterday. I don't think it was a great poll, but I saw it, and he was up a little bit. Can he win? I mean, for the first time, I thought, okay, maybe he can. Can he? Yeah. She still has the advantage, and I think she enters the the, uh, general election as a favorite. We have a, a piping hot, fresh new poll out tonight, actually. Um, uh, Thursday uh, that shows Hillary still leading, although that has narrowed some. And I think it's narrowed because she still has an active primary and Trump's primary is over. And so you kind of have a natural coalescence among Republicans to Trump right now that she doesn't enjoy yet. But keep in mind, the Democratic primary in 08 went through June and there was a contingent of Hillary supporters who said, never going to support uh, Obama, and they largely fell in line. Um, the feeling is kind of raw right now. Uh, she needs to unify the party, but she has time to do that. And the best thing, Matt, as you know, that, that she has going for her when it comes to unity is Donald J. Trump. Yeah. Um, is the map what, – what's the number, what's the number on your – what's the Trump. number on your poll, by the way? Uh, I think – uh, we've got Hillary up. I think uh, I think it's six, okay. maybe seven, something yeah. like that. But you know, we don't pay too much attention to the head-to-head stuff right now because it's so early on, and also because this stuff is ultimately decided uh, in key states. Um, what is striking, though, man, is that both of these figures have just toxic, favorable uh, okay. and unfavorable uh, numbers. I, I should say. Uh, I mean, Trump's 
standing among non-white voters, among women, and among young voters is, is just horrendous. And Hillary's standing among men and among white voters. It's almost as bad. Uh, these are two deeply unpopular figures. And almost in, a, in an unprecedented way, begin this uh, general election defined and defined in a negative way. Yeah, that that is. I, I can't remember, obviously, a time where there were two more disliked people. It, ultimately, what you said is right. These, this is a battleground thing. It's these elections. The map, when I look at the map, the map is very difficult for him. But let me give you a, the scenario, if I'm him, sure. the one way he, I think he can win. Yeah. I wonder if working class white slash union voters, kind of the last sure. white voters that Democrats have besides yep. suburban women, I wonder right. if he's going to be able to talk to them since he's anti-free trade, et cetera. Is that his path yeah. to victory? Yeah, I, I, uh, that is. I mean, his path is not a sort of Sunbelt candidacy where you get Florida, Virginia, Nevada, Colorado, New Mexico. Um, his path is very much a Rust Belt uh, approach where – you basically, starting in Pennsylvania, go through Pennsylvania to Ohio to Michigan to Wisconsin, and you win back um, this series of states that uh, tend to lean Democratic, or at least they have in recent elections. And um, I think that's how he does it. He, he does it with you know largely white voters who are upset about the status quo and who are, as you mentioned, anti-free trade. Um, the challenge, though, is that for every blue-collar Democrat that he gets with that approach, his style turns off at least as many, if not more, sort of moderate Republicans uh, who are more upscale. Yes. And so, you know, it's not a cost-free uh, game. Um, because to get some of those folks, you have to endanger yourself, you know, in, let's say, suburban Columbus or suburban Philadelphia with voters who are going to be uneasy about his candidacy. And that's the challenge he has. Is it, can he pick up some new voters, potentially, but can he hold the ones they already have? Do I don't know. You mentioned the, the sort of the, the rallying and unifying the party. The, in the Fox yeah. News poll where he was ahead, it looked like he and Hillary had essentially unified the parties in the exact same amount. I feel like yeah. with, with Hillary still going, she still has more room to grow. My my mom yeah. is a Republican who will not vote for Donald Trump. She says it to me all the time, right. Jonathan. She goes, I, I've never, right. I will not vote for him. How many of those people are out there? Do you think it is a significant amount? I think there's enough out there that it's going to make it hard for him to ultimately be successful um, because there's not much that he can do to win them over. If those voters know that the, the alternative is Hillary. And if they're okay with that, and they're already you know, being reconciled to that, that fact, then what's he going to be able to do? Um, you know, it, it seems difficult. Um, this is the challenge that he has, is that while there's a sort of natural uh, unifying effect right now, there is still a significant number of people who are, are still holding out. Um, you know, we had in our poll... Um, something like 28 or 29% of Republican primary voters who supported other candidates during the primary who are saying they're not supporting Trump, period. Now, could that, you know, uh, lessen some? Yeah, sure. Uh, but the challenge is, is that 
Trump's not going to do much better than Romney did among non-white voters, among young voters. And so if, if he can't approve among, among them, and he's giving back a few of the Romney voters, the suburban women, uh, then his path is very, very difficult. All right, I know you got to go, so just a couple quick questions. Do you... Vice presidents. Normally, people say it matters, but it never yeah. seems to matter. But I'm fascinated by just the type of person that would run with Donald Trump. Is it going to be a mini Trump? Is it going to be Newt or Rick Scott or Chris Christie? Or will he try? Is there someone else out there who would like risk I their political career? I think there's more people who are willing to do it than you would imagine. I mean, ambition is a powerful drug, and a lot of politicians um, see an opportunity to. Uh, get ahead, and even if they don't think that Trump would actually win, they see an opportunity to increase their own prominence. They would do it. Um, so I think that um, he's going to have a longer list than you might imagine. He's been very clear that he's going to pick somebody from the political world who's experienced. So um, it could be a current governor, it could be a member of Congress, but apparently he's going to pick a politician. Last question: Any that you know yeah. is there? What's a better chance of happening? Is it a better chance that Trump defies expectations and wins or that he loses by nine or ten points and loses the Senate in the process? What's more likely? Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, I hate to get in the, uh, in the prediction business, um, but I will say that the country is so sharply divided and Hillary Clinton is, is so unpopular among Republicans that I think a nine or ten point margin may be a little steep. Um, you know, this is not 1964 where you know, Johnson blew out Goldwater because there was much more of a sort of mainstream centrist consensus then. It's different now. People are in their tribes, they're in their camps. And, you know, even though the Republicans nominated Donald Trump, he still has the R after his name, and they can't stand Hillary Clinton. So I think that. You know, she's the favorite, but it's hard to see a sort of, you know, landslide when it comes to the actual raw vote, given uh, the unpopularity that, that she's still is sort of saddled with, and, and given people's tendency to just pull the lever for whoever their, you know, partisan is. I always... That said, the, the map, though, the map could be daunting. And when I say that, I mean the, the, the electoral map, because if he has problems... In Florida, you take Florida off the map, um, then he's probably not going to win California either. And then you start talking about places like New York and New Jersey, uh, it adds up pretty fast. Yeah, no, I mean, he's he, he can't win like that. Is the, are the days, I always say that I feel like there are more people in the middle in this country than there are on the extremes, but our political yeah. system is set up for the extremes to win. Will that ever change? It would take an event, I think, to reverse that. Uh, I think culture and politics now is much more... Um, it's set up in a way that um, there is a kind of natural fragmentation and that people live in much more of their own versions of, of, of reality. There's less of a consensus now, yeah. politically and culturally, than it was a half century. It's yeah. just, it's just you know, a fact. 
everybody picks their own news, you know, and I think that happens a lot. Exactly right. Jonathan, thank you very much from the New York Times. We will talk to you again. I know in your in your storied career there are many honors, but being the official political correspondent of the Matt Jones podcast has to be towards the top. So I appreciate you doing it's it. It's like at least top 50. Gentlemen. <laughs> well, that's, that's higher than I would have thought. Thank you very much, sir. Thanks, Matt. Send lawyers, guns, and money. 